Hello, listeners. I'm David Blakesley, and this is episode 97 of the Criterion Reflections podcast, in which I and a few friends are going to talk about Jean Fukuda's Godzilla vs. Gigan. This is the 12th installment in the long-running Godzilla franchise. This is in the original Showa era, the earliest phase of development. Of course, Godzilla is in current circulation with the new 2021 release Godzilla vs. Kong, or is it Kong vs. Godzilla? I think it's I think it's the other way around there. So um, we're going to possibly touch on the most current incarnations of the legendary uh, radioactive beast from the depths, but we're going to be talking instead and mostly focused on uh, Godzilla vs. Gigan, as I've already said, 1972 film, March of that year, Jun Fukuda, one of the more interesting and important Godzilla directors out there probably only behind Ishiro Honda in terms of the significance of his contributions to the franchise. Uh, We'll get into the details of the movie in just a minute, but first let's get our guests introduced. I've got a fantastic lineup. Really excited to get into it with these guys. Uh, First, Richard Doyle. Richard, welcome back. Hey, good to be back. Good to take some time off work on a Friday to talk about Godzilla. Exactly. You know, I'm doing the same thing. I called a little uh, ETO in there just to have a little bit of free space and get us together. Uh, you know, the weekend starts early. Really enjoying that. Now, you know, Richard, you've been with me uh, on the more recently uh, on the Zadoichi uh, discussion. And uh, here's another long running Japanese franchise. So I'm looking forward to your insights as we uh, as we get into Godzilla here. And next, making his season four debut, Robert Taylor, uh, still here uh, just to the south of me here in the Midwest in Ohio, but getting ready to make his uh, uh, return to LA in the near future. Robert, how's it going? Hello. Yeah. Special guest star, Robert Taylor reporting for duty. I'm, I'm great. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing really good, Robert. You know, I can say it's a beautiful day around here. I've got three excellent guests accompanying me, and this is going to be a fun discussion, I I believe. Uh, I'm I'm wondering what a Zatoichi and Godzilla crossover would be like. I suppose it would just be really short. He would just step on Zatoichi and it would be over, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't don't think the Blind Swordsman would have much of a chance in in this particular (laughs) match. (laughs) All right, and our fourth uh, contributor today is Brad McDermott. Brad, welcome back to the show, also making your season four debut. Thank you, David. And uh, uh, contrary to popular belief, I am not a cockroach in disguise. <laughs> okay. Well, well, we'll turn the lights out, put the green lamp on, and see what happens to your shadow. <laughs> no, don't. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a video or an audio only podcast, so I guess we'll have to let the viewers guess as to what the results might be of that particular experiment. But uh, also, this is kind of a unique occasion. We just found out right before we started recording that Robert and Brad have not been on one of these episodes together. So Brad, Robert, Robert, Brad, <laughs> it's good to, good to have you both <laughs> together there. Um, you know, Will you we both... become best friends or worst enemies? I don't know. It's, it's... <laughs> Maybe a bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose it depends on our reactions to this film. Uh, you know, Godzilla versus Gigan <laughs> kind of is a two-on-two tag team, uh, big-time monster wrestling event. And perhaps based on our reactions to this film, we might have a two-on-two <laughs> showdown going ourselves. So we'll, we'll see how, uh, how the pairings uh, settle in once, once the conversation gets rolling. But uh, guys, thank you for agreeing to, to jump onto this conversation with me. We are, of course, getting into spine number 1,000, uh, that 
fantastic, uh, lavishly illustrated, and completely inconveniently sized monster of a Criterion release uh, came out. Was it? Yeah, it was a was a 2020 release, right? So it just came out last year. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yep. And so it's it's it is it's it's really one of the more uh, interesting and iconic, uh, perhaps uh, even legendary Criterion editions. Even though it's fairly recent, uh, it definitely made a big impact. This is the third film from that box set that I've covered on the podcast. Uh, we did All Monsters Attack. Josh Hornbeck and I talked about that one back in, I think, season one of the podcast. And then we did Godzilla vs. Hedera uh, last year. And now we are here in, in uh, the 12th, like I say, the 12th installment of the franchise. So, yeah, I guess I'll just go ahead and give a synopsis of the story. And then we'll just kind of launch into it and go from there and see what people think about this. So Godzilla versus Gigant. Uh, it starts with kind of a kind of an interesting uh, manga situation where there's kind of uh, black and white drawings projected up on the screen with sound effects and you know people and kind of these reaction shots. And that immediately caught my attention because uh, my daughter is actually a very prominent and very successful professional manga letterer she uh, she letters japanese comics that are translated into english and she's made a very good living off of it i think she probably makes more money than i do and uh and so when i saw that it's like wow wow that's very cool i wonder how Liz, my daughter would would do the sound effects you know if this was translated into english so a little bit of a diversion uh to, to start the conversation here but anyways just a personal note i wanted to drop in and her name is Liz blakesley if you're into japanese manga and English translation, especially that that's directed more towards like female readers and, and kids, chances are pretty good that you've got a book in your collection with her uh, with her work featured in it. All right, so enough about that. So we've got a manga illustrator uh, submitting these drawings to his editor, talking about some some monsters that he's trying to dream up. He's a young man sort of searching for purpose and and uh, some kind of a livelihood. He's got a girlfriend who's kind of standing behind him, driving him into various projects. And one of the projects she wants him to get involved with is applying to work for this. Uh, theme park uh, Ch- children's world land i think is that what it's called or world children's land it's a really kind of a fumbly awkward sounding phrase to talk about you know or to to to, to name this this theme park but it's a monster theme uh, park that is being built somewhere in japan there's a big godzilla tower and then you get to see some of the work in miniatures if, if you like this kind of miniature figure style of uh, world building this is the film for you as well, as well as all of these Godzilla films. Anyways, he's brought in to do some work and uh, has a chance encounter with a girl who's escaping from this, this building that he's about to enter. A mysterious tape reel falls onto the ground. He picks it up and through a few different intrigues, he both finds himself employed to do some conceptual drawing work for this theme park. But also since he's picked up this uh, purloined, tape reel finds himself suddenly launched into this world of intrigue as there's a competing interest to figure out what's on that tape reel and what is it supposed to be doing as it turns out the tape reel is encoded signals Uh, one tape reel is to uh, attract monsters from outer space the other tape reel is to lure in monsters from monster island among which are two particular inhabitants one being godzilla 
the other being Anguirus, who's kind of like this kind of a sort of a reptilian turtle thing. He's not really like the kind of turtle where he can pull up all of his limbs and head and disappear into his shell. More That's more like a Gamera type of character. But Anguirus is more like a kind of a spiny-shelled reptile. And I don't know, maybe we'll get into the etymology and, and where all these beasts rank in terms of their overall power and reputation. Godzilla and Anguirus are drawn in and... Uh, what ensues from there is the kind of an intrigue that pits uh, alien cockroach invaders who use uh, some kind of projection technique to pass themselves off as human. Uh, their mission is to take over the Earth and uh, you know relocate their their population from the dying planet in the M was it M Nebula something or other? I don't have it in front of me. Anybody want to help me out here? What was the name of this, uh, this region that they're from in space? Oh no. It's definitely M. <laughs> yeah. It was M Nebula something. I guess it's probably not that important. Hunters in it too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, they're, they're looking to relocate from a different planet to take over the earth and, uh, and, and, you know, basically let the bugs take over. However, for some reason, Godzilla and Anguirus are are obstacles that need to be cleared out. So there has to be this big battle between the monster Gigan, who's making his debut in this film, and uh, kind of a Hall of Fame monster kaiju creature, King Hedera, who is, uh, or King Ghidra, excuse me, King Ghidra, uh, the three-headed dragon. I think he's most famous for uh, Destroy All Monsters. Maybe maybe I'm off a little bit there, but I think that's kind of where I... Godzilla versus... Godzilla versus Monster Zero. Okay, that was his first. Okay, thank you for that clarifying detail, Richard. So basically, that that sets up the the big the big rumble, you know, between Godzilla and Anguirus versus uh, Gigan and King Ghidra, and uh, you know, chaos ensues. the The world is saved. We can we can get into the you know the story of of what happens when there the big showdown erupts. Yeah, that's not a very concise synopsis. I have to say, I kind of stumbled and fumbled my way through that, but it's what it is. We we have um, you know some pretty fun elements. There are some also some elements that may not sit as well. This is this has actually been a pretty divisive title. Um, a lot of people have a lot of fondness for it. A lot of people consider it maybe the the low point or or one of the worst Godzilla movies ever made. So having uh, introduced it as inexpertly perhaps as I have, let's just get into some of our reactions. Um, Richard, you signed on to be on this episode. Uh, you sound like you've got a little bit of familiar with familiarity with the franchise. So what is your overall quick impression of Godzilla versus Gigan? I really want to like this one. Like it's, it's got a lot of really fun elements, but it's also such a shoddy film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I think, I think I like, rated it like two and a half stars, mm-hmm. which is usually my rating for something that's kind of fun, even if it's a piece of junk. And that's pretty much how I feel about this. It's one of the most confusing films in the series. I did not follow the plot for the first half hour of it at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that may be where some of my own struggles of synopsis kind of came in. But I, I think I got the essential element. So you're kind of you know, fun elements, but mediocre overall. Uh, Robert, let's go to you. What was your kind of takeaway from Godzilla versus Gigan? Yeah, the stumbles and fumbles, David, were not your fault. They're the movie's <laughs> fault. <laughs> um, 
I haven't rewatched any of these classic Godzilla movies since I was probably 10. This is this was mm-hmm. my excuse to rewatch them. I used to have all the action figures and stuff like that. And yeah, I think that like hot trash is probably the best phrase to sum up everything about the movie. It was like when the cock when they turned into cockroaches, I laughed, but the first 40 minutes almost killed me. Yeah. Uh, it, it finally perked up when, uh, the two monsters were talking to one another with, uh, with comic lettering balloons. That's, yes. that's the moment I allowed myself to start having fun with it. Okay. Yeah. And those, that's a pretty critical exchange and very unique in the annals of Godzilla. So we'll maybe revisit that in a little bit. Uh, Brad, give us your kind of opening response to Godzilla versus Gigan. Um, so this is the second time I've watched this, uh, film. I don't have, um, I just say I don't have like a childhood nostalgic fondness for these Godzilla films. I wasn't really introduced until Godzilla until, um, the, 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 the original film was released on Blu-ray, not Criterion, but whatever the release before that was. So I don't come from the, I don't come to this genre with this like nostalgia, childhood nostalgia but i really like this <laughs> film um and i i i mean i understand absolutely the criticisms and i share um some of them but i i will go to bat for this film um i think it is uh absurd and i kind of think it's also um tearing apart the the idea that that godzilla had now become at this point in his career had now became become a a a child a franchise for children yeah yeah godzilla was definitely a hero at this point and and was a figure that the audience was really encouraged to root for even the the closing song is almost like a sort of a cheerleading anthem you know (laughs) and and it really is quite remarkable to think about the 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 journey that this this character godzilla has taken since uh his his debut back in the mid 1950s. This is a, a good 17 years after the original was made. Uh, and just to kind of recap very very swiftly, I think we had Godzilla uh, released in the USA as Godzilla King of the Monsters of like 55 56. There was another pretty quick follow up sequel made. Uh, Godzilla was it Return of Godzilla Raids Again? I think Godzilla Raids Again. And then he kind yep. of disappeared for a few years while other um, kaiju franchises were born. Uh, Gamera, I've already mentioned, Rodan, Mothra, and then I think Godzilla versus King Kong. Was that the, the kind of return of Godzilla? Oh, gosh, i got to get my, my book out here. Um, yeah, King Kong versus Godzilla was from 63. So there was like a you know, uh, eight-year lapse between installments two and three of the franchise. And then everybody realized, wow, Godzilla's big bank. And, you know, they kind of just kept rolling out uh, with bigger budgets and even a little bit of glamour and prestige associated with the project. And then by this point in the early 70s, uh, which is when I started kind of covering him in my podcast, I've kind of skipped over some of those prime years we see the franchise getting a little bit weary a little bit fatigued Uh, all monsters attack is absolutely a kid's movie from a kid's point of view this is aimed toward a slightly older audience you might say the people the human protagonists are all kind of like 
late teens, early adulthood. Um, and there's an attempt at least to try to have sort of hip, cool type characters. You've got kind of a, uh, a slightly pudgy hippie guy kind of playing with some of the uh, tropes of the times. You've got a, the girlfriend that I mentioned in my intro. She's a black belt in karate. And, and so you've got a little bit of action stuff going on there. I mean, completely useless skills until she has to come in and, and do her thing to, to help escape from danger um so it's not exactly a child's movie in the way that all monsters attack was but it's also a a film that's uh very much recycled there's there's been a lot of budget cuts the japanese film industry as a whole is really kind of in its lean years uh really searching for direction you know the prestige directors the kurosawas the ozus all of those great art directors you know kobayashi's they're not really making films uh, and the audience is not really responding as more people are getting into watching TV. Uh, we talked about the Zatoichi franchise. So people are, are looking at sort of more prepackaged, digestible, familiar entertainment. Uh, more popular Japanese cinema is getting into crime and kind of softcore sex films, things of that sort. And so Godzilla, while it's still making money, it's not giving it a lot of resources. And so you've got stock footage being used for some of the fight scenes, even recycling from earlier movies. The Godzilla costume is, is visibly in somewhat of a shambles. They haven't really updated any of the materials. So there's a lot of corners being cut here. And there's, there's a, even a certain amount of, of, um, I don't know, just kind of a workmanlike uh, grind going on here. Uh, I want to talk about Jean Fukuda just a little bit. I've already kind of mentioned that he's an important Godzilla director. He was called upon during sort of the later phases of the Godzilla's of this arc here to direct films. And one of the, there's a link in the show notes uh, where he is asked very directly uh, because, you know, there's, there's almost like a defensive apologetic tone throughout the interview as he's being asked and, and he's just kind of almost brushing off the questions. He is answering them, but it's like he's not really elaborating or telling great stories. And then finally, the interviewer says, do you feel that Toho should not have produced any sequels to Godzilla, King of the Monsters? The very first one, he says, I don't think that any sequels to the first Godzilla movie should have been made. <laughs> and I just, I just found that so hilarious because this guy, I mean, Godzilla was his meal ticket. He was, he was you know, on call and, and his name is plastered across the top of many many Godzilla films and yet he's wishing the whole thing had never happened it was like a big colossal mistake did you guys get a chance to read that do you have any reaction just to kind of a director's dismissal of what was a pretty major part of his career I, I did and he's he said that elsewhere too okay. he did at least clarify that he thought the focus away from the people towards the monsters was what he thought was the mistake yeah yeah, but to, it kind of shows in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wishing away the whole franchise like that was just kind of yeah. remarkable. Uh, I find it quite funny, and I echo what you guys are saying. The beginning, the first 40 minutes or so, you can tell he does not give a shit. He's just sort of like, <laughs> what? Okay, just come into the thing. Yeah, it looks like a Bond lair. Don't comment on that. And. I feel like the entire metaphor that Godzilla has essentially turned into Disneyland, right? Like, it could not be more on the nose. I feel kind of bad even just commenting on it because it's so glaringly obvious. 
but I think that it just underlines what his POV might be about the franchise at this point. <laughs> but I, I think that isn't that that's part of what I really like about it is that I, I he's so cynical about the state of Godzilla at this point um, that he's sort of like destroying it. This film is a lot of like, I mean, yes, I'm going to stretch completely, but like here, but like Godzilla's destroying his own identity. He sees, you know, this this false sort of version of him in this Godzilla tower, and in some ways, it's he's sort of destroying uh, this, you know, infantilizing version of him that has been created by Japanese society. And I mean, I, and I'm down for it. I like that cynicism. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and, and so we, yeah, we can really leap right to the meta analysis of this film because I think, you know, if you take this movie like seriously on the level as as something trying to be a plausible scenario, which you know the early Godzilla movies really were like that. Like, just imagine if humanity's foolish recklessness of, of opening the Pandora's box of radioactive atomic weapons really came back to bite us by sort of resurrecting or creating this lethal monstrosity that's going to literally be rampaging through our cities, killing people, destroying property, blind, raw terror being inflicted upon the masses by this force of nature that is beyond our ability to control it's it's resistant to our most sophisticated weapons it's angry it's hostile it uh, is only here to deal out death and to almost uh punish us for creating the conditions that caused this monster to even live in the first place i mean that that's the original early godzilla and i think even the numerous reboots that have that have occurred over the years of really trying to refresh the the horror and the terror and and the lethality of the Godzilla you know character that's that's what they strive for because I think that is the more compelling Godzilla story <laughs> at this point we've got this really corny absurd idea of monster island that all the monsters have kind of <laughs> agreed to live in this kind of quarantine uh, where they can just romp around and do their monster thing without bothering humanity and of course the island is always monitored so that if any of the monsters leave uh you know if they if they step out over the line then they're going to get in trouble <laughs> and and that's kind of what happens in the original portion when when this tape is played this this tape that was picked up off the sidewalk and and just makes these kind of weird warpy audio noises but they work as some kind of signal. Uh, you can just play this thing on a little homemade cassette player, but somehow the vibe gets all the way across the ocean to this remote island. <laughs> and Godzilla and Anguirus is like, hey, what's up? What's going on over there? <laughs> and, and so Godzilla commissions Anguirus to go check it out. And I mean, even the dialogue is just so dopey. Okay. Anguirus <laughs> <It's just, laughs> is so grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> Yeah, and, 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 and Godzilla obviously has really important things to do on Monster Island. He can't go himself, so he's going to kind of commission this little sidekick over there to go investigate. <laughs> so then Anguirus kind of makes his way across the ocean, shows up on the beach, and the Japanese military is there with a few tanks, and they shoot a few bombs his way, and he turns tail and heads back home without really even trying to 
<laughs> to retaliate or, or any of that. So it's it's it's, it's almost as that's if one of my favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as if the studio. I, exec- I don't want any trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it to me felt like the studio executives were like, "Well, we need some monster at some point before the yes. big brawl at the end, so let's just throw him in here." But well, I did love right. how he did everything but flip off the military before he left. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you can really feel like that. This is where the formula is really kicking in. I mean, you, you do have like a pretty early on monster appearance. You know, there's Godzilla. You know, kind of facing the camera right at the very beginning. But it's not even like an action sequence, you know, to start things off. It's just it's just kind of a cameo. But you, you can almost feel like, okay, we've got an hour and a half. We've got 90 minutes. So you've got to punctuate this with monster appearances every so often or the kids are going to get restless, you know. And we, we, we got to feed them a little bit of something. And so really that is all it is. It's just an excuse to, to get a little bit of kaiju action before, you know, the big blow up uh, at the end, which is, of course, what everybody pays to see. So a very very little bit. <laughs> he doesn't really do anything. Right, right. I mean, <laughs> but 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 you got monsters on the screen, so mission accomplished there. You know, um, but before we get into the 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 big payoff, let's let's just talk about this kind of absurd little the hijinks, I guess, if you want to kind of lay it. You know, I think several of you said it didn't really make a lot of sense. You couldn't really you know figure out what was supposed to be going on here. Uh, does anybody else besides my synopsis uh, have a take on what all that was really supposed to be about? Uh, what is the appeal there? What is the, at least an attempt to engage the audience and, and hook people into these little subplots? I think the screenwriters dropped acid. And I'm sorry, <laughs> I interrupted you, Richard. You go ahead. <laughs> I was only going to say it's it's partly the plot of Godzilla versus Monster Zero completely stolen but altered to be less sensible. And in that movie, like they transport monsters to another planet in giant bubbles. And this movie is less coherent. (laughs) (laughs) So when you say they, are you talking about the aliens? The aliens are, okay. Yeah. In that movie, there are aliens approach the earth and try to, uh, they fool earthlings. And I forget the exact reason, but they want to take Godzilla and Mothra and Rodan and transport them to their planet in giant bubbles to fight Ghidorah. Okay. That's in yeah. Invasion of Monster Zero, right? Yeah, yeah, it's got yeah. two. It's Invasion of the Astro Monster or Godzilla versus Monster Zero. Okay, okay. I only know it is the first one, so I was a bit confused which one which one it was. Yeah, I, I'm old I'm old, so I call it the oldster. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just gonna say this one seems like it's largely taking huge elements of that plot. Mm-hmm. It made it less coherent. <laughs> yeah, so well, I guess the, the, the conceit to get Gigan into this film is that he's a space monster. So, you know, the, the, the idea of, of other sort of natural organic monsters, if you will, arising from the Earth, that's, that's been pretty much played out. So you've got this concept for a new monster, which is, I think that's the other kind of main contribution of this film. It, it introduces Gigan, this new uh, you know, kind of more technologically advanced kaiju, kind of setting us up for the Mecha Godzilla that's going to make his debut in a couple episodes later. Uh, Gigan is, you know, clearly a manufactured type of thing. He's got a buzzsaw in his abdomen that kind of runs up and down. He's got big metallic hooks uh, for his arms, uh, his hands, I guess what you'd call them. And even his feet seem to be some sort of 
you know, metallic type of scythe or something like that. He's got kind of a, a, a visor across his eyes and kind of a helmet shaped, you know, pointed head. So yeah, this is a, a monster that has come out of some kind of, you know, forged materials. There's not really any discussion or presentation of where he came from or, or how he got into that form. It's again, more like a design that somebody made up and says, this looks pretty cool. The kids will dig this. This will look good as toys, you know, merchandise. Uh, so again, you see this kind of cynical exploitive element. We've got, we've got this cool looking character. We've got to give them a vehicle so that the kids will want to get this in their toy box. Can we just talk about this fucking buzzsaw, though? Because yeah, yeah. You hear, <laughs> you hear like there's a buzzsaw in his chest, this and you're like, is, yeah. okay, that sounds super cool. But then you see the buzzsaw go, and the only way he can use it is if he, like, slowly waddles up to a building <laughs> and then leans forward. And, like, the visuals, and I am only partially saying this in just, like, those scenes where he's waddling up, I'm like, is he going to take a piss? Is he going to hump the building? It was very, very, like, oddly staged, and it was oddly shot as well. <laughs> well, yeah, well, because when you, when you actually see the buzzsaw, it's kind of like this from the left side... And you see the buzzsaw slicing into a sort of a surface. And what you can assume is that they actually had a model with a real spinning metal blade, you know, doing what it does, cutting into some surface. But when you see the monster from face up or from the frontal view, it's just like these kind of ridges. It's, you know, and, and when it's supposedly buzzing, buzzsawing, it really just looks like it's going up and down some kind of a, a driller or it, it, it's not a very convincing effect is I guess what I'm trying to say here. And so, you know, why would the buzzsaw not extend if you're going to really probably because it would be so lethal that no, nobody would have a chance <laughs> against it, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's not really well conceived, although I will say he, he looks pretty bitchin'. I mean, pretty, pretty, pretty tough. Um, yeah, I, I like love this the look. hands. Yeah. I love the hands. Yeah. It's all about that buzzsaw, though. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 but uh, Robert, I think you had referred to the, the headquarters of this building, which they're in the headquarters, which I think is at the lower levels of the, um, of the Godzilla Tower, because the upper level mm-hmm. of the Godzilla Tower, they kind of use as kind of a, a bit of a a, a prison or, or a, a holding pen when, when they have the kids kind of kidnapped and, and held against their will. They're sort of up at the top of the Godzilla Tower. But let's just talk a little bit about this bond layer. We've got uh, the two kind of villain characters. One of them is a young kid. He looks like he's in his late teens. He's like this genius mastermind who is mapping out astronomical charts and, and and kind of manning the control panel. Then you've got the sinister guy with the glasses with his little, you know, wicked laughter and, and his glowering stare and all of that. And he's he's the boss guy that the, uh, the illustrator is first connecting with here. Uh, what do we make of these two guys and, and the lurking menace that they represent? My favorite moment in the movie is when he walks in and he sees the young kid doing the math thing, but it's in this chair that genuinely looks like Dr. No just got up and left, right? (laughs) Like it's the biggest chair and it's the most, like 
I am shocked I have not seen it in like uh, Pump or Tom Tom in WeHo at this point. But he goes up to him and he's like, who are you? And the guy says, I'm the chairman. And I'm like, yes, obviously you're the chairman. <laughs> Come on. He's uh, just missing a cat to be petting. <laughs> and the other thing I yeah. loved about Godzilla Tower was at the end, pardon me, in the final act when like, the laser is coming down from fake Godzilla's face and like attacking Godzilla. All Godzilla would have had to do is roll slightly to the left or slightly to the right. And he would not have been hit by that laser anymore. And instead Godzilla lays there for realistically four minutes of screen time being hit by this <laughs> laser <laughs> unnecessarily. I mean, I, I say this both as a criticism and also I laughed my ass off. So I enjoyed that. <laughs> he could have just walked away. <laughs> yeah. Well, the whole premise of the fight is, is rather questionable, but, but I, before we get there, I mean, cause I think that's, that is the, the piece of the film. I do want to spend some time, uh, you know, digging into, uh, is there anything more to be said about this whole setup? the apparent danger uh, that, that this young man, this illustrator gets himself into as he's, you know, you know, trying to find a way to, to make some money to get his girlfriend off his back. I mean, that's, that's the little, you know, relational uh, friction that I guess is supposed to be driving things forward. Uh, and then we've got the, the intonations that there's something not quite right about these, uh, these men in their orange jumpsuits and pink t-shirts <laughs> that are, are running this operation. Uh, what, what about the concept of this, of this theme park? This is supposed to be a place where the children of the world will come and celebrate their love of peace. monsters. <laughs> And, and peace, peace. The, the absolute <laughs> peace you know <laughs> very, very here. Um, i don't know i don't know if those were like messages that were being you know sort of broadcast to japanese youth about peace about being nice about getting along i mean you know godzilla versus hedera or as uh, as it was released in the usa godzilla versus the smog monster has kind of a, a pro-environmental message and i i remember as a kid mm-hmm. back in those days ecology and the first earth day was celebrated around that time so there was definitely a sense that we've got to do something about this pollution problem children uh, so don't litter and, and clean up after yourself and and uh you know tell the adults to stop pumping all that smoke out of their factories and burning up the atmosphere and all of that here you've just got a very generic pablum type of message about peace and being nice i guess is is kind of Um, the theme here yeah i i I see it a bit different i um what i really like again I, i love leaning into the absurdity of this film um but like the cockroaches right Let's yeah. let you know. Let's let's uh, everybody know they're secretly uh, cockroaches from another planet um, that have come that the the on their planet they had a human like species that polluted it to their own extinction and now the cockroaches are advanced and have intergalactic travel and have come to Earth to uh, you know do the same thing. They love it so because we're we're doing this to our own planet. We're polluting it to shit. Um, so that is the inevitability. Right, the planet has its own lifespan, I think is what they say. And so even though the cockroaches right. are are doing okay, they they realize it's time to relocate. And so 
what never really made any sense to me, and so if maybe you can help me understand the beauty of this absurdity, Brad, is is why did the cockroaches have to worry? <laughs> why did they have to worry about Godzilla and Anglerus? You know, I mean, cockroaches are very good at just sort of settling in and taking over. <laughs> you know, Godzilla does not have the ability to eradicate the world of cockroaches either. You know, so Plus I don't. Godzilla. Is there any logic to it there? Plus Godzilla, <laughs> sure, but Angerus, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, part of <laughs> um, my defense of this film can't uh, extend to logic gaps. <laughs> okay. That um, is where it would kind of. But uh, what I like about it, the absurdity is, we are always told, right? We are polluting Earth to shit. And, you know, we're not leaving a future for our children. And um, this film has such a cynical view of Godzilla being presented as a cinema for children that I think that that is, that is, uh, uh, goes along with that. We're like, okay, so are the children that will inherit the earth that we will actually be cockroaches if we keep going along what we're doing right environmental disaster nuclear disaster that is the end result it will just be cockroaches so i think that there's a a delightful absurdity with those the cockroaches from another planet coming here to you know to escalate this this process it's uh, part of the for me it's part of the film's like uh you know thumb in the nose of of children entertainment kind of idea if that makes sense, I'm, I'm I'm reaching a little bit, I guess. But <laughs> no, no, I, I I get it. I mean, you're all you're kind of alluding to the idea that, as the director himself already said, he's not taking a lot of pride in this work, and is maybe even inserting kind of subversive messages, undercutting his own project because of his sort of cynical disdain. I mean, he's he's a truly a director for hire. Uh, he's mm-hmm. doing what the studio is paying him to do. Uh, but he's doing it almost under sort of an implied protest. You've cut my budget. You've kind of saddled me with this kind of dopey responsibility to appeal uh, to make this kind of you know bland pablum that's suitable for children, and you know it is is a completely goofy premise. I think I think that's that's part of the sto- the story right there is that you're asked to take on this job, um, but the story itself. You know, to any sort of thinking, well-informed, considerate adult, it's like this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and and so you know, he's powerless to change it. It's almost sort of like what Suzuki was doing with some of those kind of pot boiler crime capers that he was assigned to do in the mid '60s. It's like, okay, I, I will take your script, but I will just turn it on its head. I think Suzuki was able to do it with an artistic flair because he, yes. yeah, he's, he's working with, with uh, humans and, and set designs and, and you know, cinematography. Money. Money, he yeah. does have some money. Right. Right. Yeah. But he's yeah. still, you know, he's still sort of almost drawing attention to the exploitive nature of the whole enterprise that these stories really, there's no, there's no real stakes in it. It's just kind of an exercise we're going through to provide excuse for a little bit of action, a little bit of sex, a little bit of comedy, uh, a little bit of tough guy swagger. You know, this this is these are different elements, and and certainly marketing to a different audience. But yeah, I guess what I'm hearing you say is that Fukuda and the rest of the the creative talents are kind of turning it on its head, uh, even as a way of kind of maybe venting their own frustrations or 
pushing back against the limits that they have to work within. For sure. I, I think that they're, I mean, if the whole project is, is very cynical and if they're coming through, coming from it from a very cynical place, they may not even realize that there is some artistry that's coming through mm-hmm. in that cynicism. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe we can start talking about the artistry because I think there is, there is, are, there are some beautiful moments. There are some pretty spectacular sequences when we get to the big monster battle. Uh, but before we get there, any other talk or thoughts about just the setup? I mean, the whole premise that we've already kind of, you know, examined, but I just want to make sure before we move on that we've covered whatever there is to be said about all that. I think one thing that might be going on in this movie too is that uh, the producers of the Godzilla series really didn't like Godzilla versus Hedorah. And and what was that about? I mean, because I, I thought that one did, did I, fairly good business, but I know that he really did not like the film. I think, and that's one of the reasons the director of that did not do this one. Okay, they got went back to Fukada because he didn't like that film, and I think he didn't like the more. It sounds really weird to say, but he didn't like the more dark, outlandish elements of that one. Outlandish was fine, but that was he didn't like how how what of a de- bit of a downer that movie was. Mm. So part of the message that Fukada was getting on this one was not that. But I think, yeah. but I think they might have said to him one impression I got while watching it: the environmental message is fine because mm-hmm. that feels almost like shoved in in this one, like like he's like he's trying to find tick all the right boxes on it, and it's like they like the environmental message, so let's have the cockroaches say. You guys are destroying the environment, even though that has really nothing to do with our monster plot. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's another quote, I think later on, I think it's, it's after the battle, even it's like oh, technology makes our life comfortable, but you know, there's kind of like, there's a, there's a downside to all of the advances that science can bring into our life. I'm not really sure exactly where that was going, um, but it seemed like a little <laughs> bit of a moral that they were tag- tagging on here, you know, just to kind of... I, I love the moment when they said that, let's go run with the legs that God gave us. <laughs> <laughs> the, Amazing. The technology thing was so insane because there's nothing thematically before that that seems to right. set up that line at all it's not like as if they're like ah and now children we have learned our lesson they just said a random thing to mm-hmm. again probably a studio note that they got but yeah. i echo everyone else's sentiments that this does have a bit of a feeling of like we're on season 17 of ncis la <laughs> what do we do now and it's become a parody of itself yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very much, very much. So, okay, well, so so with all of those elements kind of behind us there and, and all of the intrigues, all of the, the, the tanglements of the plot, we have basically two big battle sequences. Uh, first of all is when King Ghidra and, and Gigan both land on Earth, they're commissioned to go do their requisite stomping of Tokyo. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's, it, to me, it's like a ballet of, of flames, explosions, buildings getting squashed, freeways uprooted, uh, you know, but, but there's no human suffering shown. I mean, there's all kinds of property damage, but you're not seeing people terrorized by these rampaging monsters. And again, that feels like a very deliberate choice. I mean, there's there's all kinds of devastation and, and chaos being unleashed, but it doesn't seem like anybody's actually getting hurt. It, it, it could only be imagined. And so let's just talk about that, the, the whole idea that 
you come to these movies so that you see buildings being torn up to shit and you know left in rubble massive explosions again why why what did tokyo have to do with any of this you know why why take it out on tokyo uh but again it feels like this is a box that needs to be checked you know buildings crumbling and and all of the other things i've just described what's the function what's the attraction uh what do you think uh people why, why are people looking for that? Is it just because they're expecting it? Because that's just kind of a, a ritual obligation that we go through anytime there's a Godzilla movie? Or was there any other purpose being served in that in that portion there? I mean, it feels to me as if it's just we are going through the motions. That's probably, at least for me, the most boring section of the movie, aside from Gaian, okay. as I said, humping the, the building. But it just, it seems like it's something that we've seen in various other Godzilla movies done better because there were higher budgets. And it also seems, again, much cheaper than other destructive sequences. It's really cheap, yeah. Yeah, like you see one car. One car the entire time. (laughs) Yeah, stop on the car. Yeah, just got... And many... Many of the Ghidorah uh, destruction sequences are airlifted straight out of previous Godzilla films. I was curious about that, because the background, the sky looked completely different in certain scenes. Even the film stock looks different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. so... You can see see Mothra in one of them, too, even though he's not in this movie. It seemed as if that was the part where if you had to pee and you're in the theater, it would be that time to go. <laughs> well, unless this is what she came for. I mean, there are, I, and I have to imagine there's a portion of the Godzilla audience that just sort of gets off on this type of thing, right? They, they want to see buildings smashed because that's what kaiju do. Yeah, but it seems so placeholder, even within like, look, we're oh, talking about Godzilla versus Gigan, so we all like buildings going boom. But it's yes. so placeholder, <laughs> even within the context of the series itself, that yeah. I, if I were a huge fan, I'm like, yeah, blow up that building. I would be like, yeah, it's fine. You know. <laughs> uh, if it feels not anticlimactic, but just kind of like, okay, there it is. You know, this is what you want. Right? There it is. Let's move on. And it has none of the like fun trashiness of the final sequence, which actually has some interesting creative moments. And I guess I am setting you up for segging into that, David. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I did enjoy, and maybe I want to ask for Richard's uh, rating um, to me when I was looking at, and and just really fo- my rewatch last night or yesterday afternoon was just, okay, let's just look at the, the sheer, you know, audio visual pyrotechnics. I mean, some of the explosions, some of the, you know, flame balls and the music and, and the noise, it, it, it's sort of like, it's like going to a heavy metal concert and they just kind of launch into that riff and, you know, your head starts banging. It's like, yeah, okay, there you go. That was, that was like the big payoff for that type of thing. I guess I just appreciated it sort of like, okay, there we go. We, we had our, you know, cities in ruin, uh, sequence there richard i mean where would you rate this if you were to put this on a scale of of cities in destruction uh is this lower tier middle tier run of the mill i mean obviously it's not top shelf i was thinking the city destruct the point of the movie i think is to see the monsters fight yeah at least at least after about 65 or so when that seems to be the common theme and i think one of them has to do the destruction to get the monsters to fight there has to be a reason for godzilla to fight these ones 
Yeah, Godzilla needs to be motivated to fight and he's motivated these days in those movies because the monster's smashing things. Yeah. Like, Godzilla's now a nice guy. Yeah, that's right. right. And, and, well, and smashing Tokyo was his thing. You're, you're copying my yeah. stuff. <laughs> you're, yeah, yeah. That, that, that was my riff, you know? You're just a poser. You come, you're just one of these wannabes. <laughs> you so, come here from outer space and you smash my city? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then, and then I think... I thought it was pretty listless, though. <laughs> I thought it was pretty listless, though. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. I think we I think we've covered that. So then there's some something that happens is that there's definitely like a, a a transition where it goes from city destruction and then there's a, another scene sequence with with the humans in there and then it turns into the the two on two tag team wrestling match. Uh, I can't remember what exactly that transitional thing was. It was probably something to do with the kids trapped up in the tower or whatever the case may be. But then we get into, you know, which is, yeah, for sure, the the real, you know, popcorn munching, you know, the payoff that everybody's there for, which is the physical battle, two monsters against each other, primarily Godzilla versus Gigan, although, you know, King Ghidra is a pretty formidable opponent as well. This might be the best pairing of of badass monsters that godzilla has to square off against perhaps but you know that's probably debatable and and something to be pursued by the truly deep godzilla heads out there uh, which <laughs> surpassed my knowledge and familiarity i mean i watched all this stuff when i was a kid on tv and they all kind of blend together i've definitely seen gigan before this wasn't like a new monster appearance for me but i didn't have a lot of recollection of the of the intricacies of this particular story with all that aside uh, what'd y'all think of the of the big brawl uh, was was that uh, satisfying i mean i i like i love this climax and um not only uh do, do i think that there's again i i mean i keep mentioning this but like Godzilla seeing a, a you know an effigy of himself. Yes. Um, that there's there's you can kind of read into it, and I I don't know. It's fun for me to read into it. Where um, Robert was saying the laser that shoots out of the 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 Godzilla tower, um, but like that's you know it's it's Godzilla seeing the face of himself, and it can be interpreted as God, the real Godzilla having some sort of you know moment as seeing this sort of. Um, bastardized, you know, version of himself. Um, and it isn't until the kids, um, he, like Godzilla's losing this fight horribly, and it isn't until the kids uh, send up the TNT and explode the head of Godzilla Tower that um, that sort of trance that Godzilla is in um, due to the laser is is broken, and he can sort of get his bearings again. And I, I think it's interesting that it's when Godzilla actually uh, destroys the rest of the tower um, that the the tide of the battle then then changes. <laughs> and um, yeah. the the only uh, the other thing I wanted to to also mention about the battle is the blood, yeah. um, which I think is is part of uh, the satirical elements of this one for me that I that I really like is. When you when you have a fight, we talked earlier about like the the destruction of the buildings of, of Tokyo and how like we don't see we don't see any people being killed the way you know Honda showed us in the very first Godzilla um, right. to make that very real for us. We don't see any of that, but but what we see with this blood, it's sort of kind of a weird sobering moment. It's like all of this is fun until you see blood, and then 
blood immediately kind of removes the satire um, elements and makes it real. And in some ways that sort of deepens the dark comedy elements of it as well, where it's like, oh, you know, maybe this isn't as children's like as as it's framed at, you know, this sort of Scooby-Doo heroes that we have in the human characters, the always allusions to manga and the bright poppy colors, the children's park, you know, all this stuff where it's like, this is for kids, this is for kids, this is for kids. The blood kind of is sort of a weird step back, whether it's intentional or not, by the director, but it's sort of a weird step back where it's like, mm, maybe this isn't as innocent as you know the whole the whole enterprise is sort of framed to be yeah that that scooby-doo thing that you mentioned there was, was really pretty on point with what i was seeing as well you've got this kind of disposable subplot but then you've got godzilla like you say confronting himself his own image it's kind of like the you know the big showbiz star who is kind of sickened to see their the, their own public reputation kind of floated in front of them. You know, the, the star who never wants to watch their own pictures because they sort of see the facade or the, the charade or even the fraud that's being perpetrated when they know the real story, that kind of self-loathing piece here. That's a very interesting observation. I loved them putting the TNT in the elevator. Uh, I thought it was very, <laughs> yeah. very funny. And I love that, like, when did he have a chance to draw that? And it was very oh, no. specific. <laughs> it was very specifically the characters in the movie. Yes. Like, was everyone else and he's like, okay, I, I just need two hours real quick. I'm just gonna just draw this. That said, I really thought that that was very fun and as you said, a Scooby-Doo way. Um, yeah. In terms of the battle itself, I swear to God, there's this one shot around, I think like one hour and 16 minutes where you can see part of the cloth or the rubber on Godzilla's leg, like a good patch of it just tear off in the middle mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. And then it's just, <laughs> and then it's just back, but I'm like, it's very close in frame and you see it like slide off. Why would they not do a take two of that? It wasn't like a destruction money. scene, <laughs> but no money. Yeah. I, <laughs> I loved how cheap I and again I got a big kick out of Godzilla destroying himself. I got a big kick out of seeing how cheap it was, and then of course uh, I'm curious what everyone else's favorite monster move was. Mine was when Angerus was coming at King Ghidorah and then just oh with his right in the, chest. the spikes. Yeah, that's my favorite too. Yeah, it, yeah, it yeah, made the, the, the entire backing, right? inclusion yeah. of that D-lister worth it. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i think that is probably yeah and of course that is anguirus's redemption right there that's the i guess the whole purpose of other than to even up the numbers you know so that it wasn't just godzilla going completely solo because anguirus is definitely a real sad sack of a kaiju i mean he really he contributes <laughs> nothing until it's time to you know kind of do his backup move and just poke poke the belly of King Ghidorah right there, you know? It's interesting because he's he was the first sidekick. Like, he was the first villain mm-hmm. um, in Godzilla Raids again was him. And yeah. he's always kind of stuck around, but he's never he's never been a big star. <laughs> he's just always there. I feel like the execs like went to the costume shop and they were like, okay, which one's still in decent shape? Okay, yeah. we got this one. We got Spiky Ankylosaurus. We got him. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and maybe that's just because he's he's clearly no competition. You know, he's the Robin to Godzilla's Batman. Like, you know, there's no there's no rivalry here. We know who's alpha, who's beta, and, and that's that's all settled. He's no fool, though. He's not going to take on the army by himself. He's just going to get the hell out of there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He, he, he checked out what's going on, and he'll, he'll leave it at that. Um, I, I definitely thought Godzilla's thrice-repeated over-the-shoulder flip of King Ghidorah was was pretty awesome. You know, I don't know if they meant to say there were three flips or if they just repeated it several times just to kind of relish it. But it all had the same effect. It was basically just... You know, Godzilla wrapping his arms around the three necks of King Ghidorah and then doing the old full body over the shoulder, slam him to the ground. Kind of, uh, what was it, what what Hulk did to Loki in one of those Avengers movies? Just whap, whap, whap. <laughs> of course, they put it up quite a bit in the, in the more recent film. But yeah, very much a, a gratuitous, uh, you know, because King Ghidorah, I think, you know, the three-headed dragon and just his you know, he's golden, he's ferocious, he's a completely mythical beast, but to see him completely stomped and humiliated after Godzilla had just really had the stuffing kicked out of him, I mean, for, for a long time. And I don't know, does anybody have any insight on the mechanics of Godzilla's radioactive breath? Because he never used that at all until the very end of the battle. It's like, why don't you do that little, um, you know, death beam out of your mouth that you know we've seen you do so many times before he he never he never pulled that one out of his holster until really almost everything had been settled uh, what what's up with that i mean i think there's an, been a very short fight yeah the incredibly logical <laughs> reason is the movie would have been over too soon but um the other thing that i thought was so funny which i had completely forgotten was king Ghidorah had wigs like each one of the head had like this really badly put together wig of hair and i had forgotten that and i'm like it took his badassery down from like a nine to a (laughs) 6.5 at least for me yeah yeah king eater will never evoke the same type of fear reaction after this film he's definitely been humbled quite a bit uh in in just kind of exposing some of his vulnerabilities and even just the way that uh, both Ghidra and Gigan kind of literally turn tail and just hightail it out of there it's just like a very anticlimactic but i guess you've got to preserve them both for future appearances uh and uh Gigan himself especially will be in the next installment which i haven't watched yet as far as i know but that'll uh, that'll be coming up in the next season of the podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know, it, and it's also just interesting that how much this battle really resembles almost kind of a sumo match. I mean, there's obviously moves being used here that are not permitted in legal sumo, but it it felt very much like just like I say a t- tag team brawl of of a you know pairs of heavyweights going against each other very physical very visceral muscular not not really you know even not even um using the buzzsaw or and i don't know king Ghidra. yeah he does he does have kind of some kind of lightning breath that he can shoot out of his mouth as well uh and for a long time you know godzilla was an absolute punching bag uh that also seemed a bit unusual to me again i haven't really analyzed these films in great depth but uh those of you who have seen some of the earlier installments, was this one of the more physical wrestling types of outings of Godzilla, or had he been moving in this direction 
quite a bit for some of the recent, more recent uh, episodes. I think it's pretty typical yeah. since since mm-hmm. it, since the series sort of turned into Monster Brawl's monster, yeah, as the central theme. I do agree with uh, Brad that the blood is kind of striking, though. Yeah, it's it's an element that I don't recall seeing outside of this movie. I think yeah, this is considered one of the goriest Godzilla movies, and I, I think that again, it was one of those kind of expanding boundaries. You know, Zadowichi, we see you know a lot more explicit blood and gore in some of the films that were coming out around the same time. But it is interesting, and I guess maybe feeds into the idea that this wasn't strictly aimed for the children. Uh, it's trying to get more of a, a teen and maybe young adult uh, audience, you know, kids who had grown up with Godzilla who were now pretty much grown up, but still wanted to come back for, you know, presumably a good time at the movies. You know, how, how successful that worked, I mean, I don't know what the, the profit margins were, but apparently this is considered a financially successful entry and so maybe it's just that that margin was expanded because they they cut the spending back so much that even modest returns looked pretty profitable from the studio perspective yeah i think the next one is when the profits really start shitting the bed <laughs> is that megalon is that the next yeah. one yeah yeah, yeah. Um, megalon really bores me <laughs> okay <laughs> Even with the Jack Nicholson robot in it, <laughs> the that one has the best poster of the entire series, with both of them standing atop the skyscrapers that just seems to yeah. go endlessly yeah. down. That's the best part of the movie is the poster. <laughs> um, I also have like a logical question that I want to ask, which is oh no, which is like this film defies logic. You know, it, it's not specifically about the battle. <laughs> It's um Godzilla's son. Is it Minya? Like, what's the Godzilla Minya? Yeah. Minya, what is he yeah. doing this entire time? Like, is Godzilla just did? Is there a babysitter? Like, is Rodan hanging out <laughs> with him? Is Mo- like, or is he like being eaten alive on Monster Island? Is Godzilla a bad father? <laughs> Can we talk about that? Or- no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think they settled that in uh, what's the one Godzilla rate attacking. Against all, all monsters, all monsters attack. Yeah, yeah that's, all monsters attack. Yeah, because I, I mean, he learned to stand up for himself. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. Stop blowing smoke rings, and was actually able to fight back and contribute something <laughs> to, to the final outcome there. And then, um, calling him Godzilla droopy eyes at the end truly, yes, day. it made my day so happy. <laughs> well, yeah, and that song, which was already been mentioned, and what you're you're quoting the lyrics there, it is it's a it's a cheerleader, a mascot song. You know, Godzilla has been fully domesticated at this point. You know, he's one of the good guys. He's here to keep us safe, and our role is to cheer him on and to let him know we really appreciate him coming through and taking one for the team. Because yeah, he he definitely got a little bit beat up here, but the Earth isn't a better place now the the bad monsters have gone away <laughs> the cockroaches too yeah after after the, the tower blows up and they say kubota what happened <laughs> you know <laughs> and that's when they that's when they lose their protective power and the cockroaches are just sitting there you know turtle on their back their their little appendages shaking as they as they breathe their last breaths or whatever it is that cockroaches do to circulate the, the elements in their system there so yeah so 
all's well that ends well, I guess. You know, Tokyo's got some repairs <laughs> and some cleanup to do. And that, again, uh, <laughs> and the and the world's children's land theme park that all those kids were so excited to go visit when it was finally finished. Uh, well, <laughs> that's just going to be a vacant, uh, empty lot uh, for sale uh, to new owners. You know, uh, development upon request. <laughs> Can I just say that I, I really I really think that we should have seen Homework Monster and Strict Mom <laughs> Monster because yes. those would have been the most terrifying. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're yeah. a 13 year old boy growing up in Japan, those are terrifying monsters. <laughs> well, the drawing for Shuker was was pretty pretty fear inducing. Absolutely. I... <laughs> it looked it looked very warped, very mutated, uh, very hor- genuinely horrific. There, go ahead, Robert. Oh, I was going to change the topic because I think I have actually patched up a plot hole. Because we were like earlier, we don't see any human beings in Tokyo. This is like the forty seventh time monsters have attacked Tokyo. Maybe literally everyone has moved out. Like maybe finally people are like. God, I don't want to lose my shit again. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna head out. I'm gonna go to the country. Yeah, I would that think. Makes sense. You know, uh, po- cities would would be depopulating pretty quickly under such circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything left to be said about this? We've already even made some allusions to uh, Megalon, the, the next installment, uh, number 13 coming up, uh, which we'll cover in the following season there. Uh, but yeah, any final comments? Um, you know, this isn't necessarily one to sort of recommend or not i mean it's it is what it is it's godzilla right and and if you're along for the ride this is this is part of the the journey um i, I think we've like yeah go ahead one the only my only favorite moment that we haven't really mentioned is that's that wasn't a gun that was a corn cob oh. <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous out of nowhere <laughs> Uh, but on, yeah. a, on a more serious note, I, I think the score for this movie is ironically rather good because yes. they just cribbed it together from <laughs> snippets of the scores of other movies. But it's like they took the greatest hits of of the of Godzilla soundtracks and made this one quite good. Yeah, and I think I think you're right, that, that, and that's why some of those, you know, as we've kind of discussed, mundane city wreckage scenes. Maybe they they did seem somewhat refreshing or satisfying to me, just because yeah, the whole experience is like yeah that was decent I, I i enjoyed it you know maybe comparing it to others um you know would would downgrade it a little bit in my esteem but watched in isolation it's like sure i'm here for it that's good uh brad any any final words or robert either one of you guys want to kind of you know weigh in with uh last last take uh i definitely want to come back for the next installment <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to come back for the next one too. Yeah. <laughs> the invitation is extended. We Richard's can get the like, no, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I'm, in. I'm in for the next one. It's a date. <laughs> Excellent. Well we'll, well, we'll see this thing through. I'll probably, I'll try to commit to kind of watching some of those middle uh, installments as well, just to get my own context and awareness a little bit more uh, enriched uh, although I've, I've enjoyed the last few so we'll, we'll take it from there so let's just kind of do some catching up um, I, you know especially Brad and Robert since we haven't heard from you lately but we'll start with Richard any any uh, recent highlights things you want to 
draw listeners' attention to or just general life updates you want to share with the audience? I, I never have anything. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> well, I don't want to assume I, too much, but I, 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 I get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. All right. Uh, so, so Robert, I've already mentioned that you're going to be heading back to your adopted home fairly soon. Uh, what's going on in Robert Taylor's world? Uh, usual development. Uh, these, the adaptation of the TV show that I worked on for eight seasons, Spirit Riding Free, called Spirit Untamed, will be in theaters June 5th. And so please go see it and watch the TV show online so that I can get more residuals. That's what I would say (laughs) uh, is coming up in my world. And Jake Gyllenhaal and Julianne Moore and a bunch of other A-listers are in it, which is super cool. Uh, The other thing that I would that I would love to just share for a second is I found out that my grandfather was a spy with the OSS while I was home. Um, which I find incredibly cool. I was going through one of his old bureaus and there is a fake bottom to one of the drawers that I discovered. Wow. And within it was a passport that had his photo, but not his name in it, along with a bunch of like small, a bunch of coins, one of which was a 50 cent piece that was hollow. So like little things could be stored or kept in there, like microfilm and stuff like that. Oh, fascinating. And I've contacted the government and to figure out what exactly he did with his life. Because uh, he was in the OSS for the last two years of the war. And they refused to tell me his stuff. is. What was his cover during that time? Did he have an occupation or some? They will not tell me anything, which is driving me crazy. Apparently what he did was still classified all these years later. It's still classified, but the passport shows that he was in like France. He was in Italy during all of the, during world war two, which of course makes me wonder exactly what the, has he murdered people? This is very concerning, but also fascinating. Yeah, you've got some materials to work with, my screenwriter friends. Something yeah. that uh, yeah, could be expanded upon, or at least the, the the opening to let your imagination run wild with it. That's a very fascinating anecdote. Maybe I'll <laughs> see if there's any further developments as that story continues to unfold. Yeah, hopefully this doesn't come out. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I was just well, saying, hopefully this doesn't come out, and someone's got, like an assassin is going to hear and come after me. Now. <laughs> um, but anyway, I don't think I'll reach that, goes Brad, that far, Go for yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, I can't. Sorry, your life is more interesting than mine. <laughs> well, Brad, I've been seeing some of your social media posts. Uh, you've been your your film Polyandry has been racking up some some uh, prizes and some recognition. You want to tell us a little bit about that? It has. Um, yeah, my partner and I, Fred, uh, my partner Fred and I, um, are sort of writer, director, producer team. Um, and we had made this short film, Polyandrew. And, uh, you know, when the lockdown and everything happened, uh, film, all the film festivals went online. So <clears throat> we've just been um, submitting it to film festivals, and it's been a hit. Um, a, a lot of the festivals like it. We get recommendations between the festivals. They want to, you know, oh, go get the Polly Andrew film and put it in your fest- film festival. Um, so, yeah, we've been kind of had, uh, it's been a, a interesting. We haven't been able to go anywhere to any of these places. The, normally we would we would visit a few of them, right? It's always a great excuse to 
to go travel to a city you've never seen before or a country you've never seen before. Um, but it's been really nice, you know, while we're kind of sitting locked down here, uh, not able to go anywhere, just to see our film um, be so successful. So we're really um, honored that so many people have have. Yeah, that. well, congratulations on that. But that does have to feel pretty weird that all these festivals are happening, and they're probably all happening almost entirely virtually, right? They are, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so so the, the, the dynamic of meeting people, making connections, just kind of having that shared experience has been kind of removed. But the film is still out there, and it's getting recognition. And yeah, it's just got to be, I'm sure, you know, with the Academy Awards coming up this weekend and all, just a very strange time for the entire industry and really for everybody, I guess, who's been living through it, but just thinking about <laughs> film as a social event, as a place for, for groups to come together, for audiences to have a shared experience. Uh, that's all been just sort of turned on its head over this past year. So, uh, you know, but again, congratulations for prospering during all this time of challenge and for, uh, yeah, and just for, for continuing the work uh, Aww, through all you. the obstacles. So, <laughs> yeah, anything else you want to kind of fill us in on? I mean, I think that's a pretty significant update right there. Yeah, nothing, nothing else. Um, if you want to follow me on Letterboxd, I'm Mr. Brad McDee, and you can find my reviews there. Um yeah, I think that's about it. All right. Well, so listeners, we've uh, covered some interesting territory. We've talked about uh, uh, less blank was the previous episode, some pretty reality-based stuff. We've just kicked it over to Godzilla. Our next film is Fellini Roma. So we're going to be talking about the, the history of Rome uh, through the lenses of uh, Federico Fellini and his uh, inimitable creative team, uh, That'll be our next episode coming up here. And also, I've got a new episode of my Inside the Box program that I do with Trevor Barrett. The, the last Inside the Box was David Lean directs Noel Coward, uh, which was a really great conversation, actually, going back to those World War II films. So, yeah, that's that's what I've been up to. Been doing a lot of podcasting lately, very much enjoying that, and also doing a lot of TikTok. So that's if you want to see what I'm doing on social media, that's probably the place. Maybe I should start cross-posting more of my clips to my Facebook group just to give people a chance to keep up with me there if you don't want to venture into that uh, dangerous swamp known as TikTok. I understand it can be a little bit daunting and <laughs> and create some unwanted associations as well. So anyways, listeners, thank you for tuning in. Uh, guys, it's been a fun time as always. Really, again, happy to have Brad and Robert on the same episode. I didn't realize it had taken us so long to get this particular tag team pair together so fun times guys uh, thanks for your contributions and thank you listeners for your support of this program and all the things that we do on criteriancast.com i'll be signing off momentarily uh, we'll have a little godzilla exit outro music to wrap things up so thanks for listening in and we'll be all talking to you soon bye-bye